How's everybody doing tonight? Awesome. So I'm a follower of Jesus Christ who's in uh, recovery for sexual integrity, anger, control, substance abuse, and narcissism. My name is John. I'm excited to be here tonight and share a little bit of my story um, about how God's grace has had such a profound impact in my life. The problem is, is that I'm kind of a weird combination of ADD, ADHD, and OCD all rolled into one. So please keep your hands and feet inside the ride at all times and hold on. It's probably going to be a little wild. I, I've given my testimony a few times. Uh, the first time I gave it was actually down at a church in Arkansas where I used to live. Uh, and a buddy of mine who had become a pastor, we flew together in the U.S. Air Force, and he'd become a pastor down there, uh, asked my wife and I to come down and share a little bit about our story. And it may seem out of place here, but it, I opened my testimony for the first time by saying this, and it, it was impactful for me and I think impactful for others. I said, I've probably not many of, met many of you before, but up until six years ago, I was a local resident. You might have seen me, however, because I was the guy that was stumbling out of most of the bars and adult entertainment locations in central Arkansas. And while my story neither starts nor ends here, it's an incredible snapshot of what living a life away from God's direction can look like. So I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's with two O's and a D, Minnesota. And I grew up actually a pretty wealthy kid. My folks were super successful. We had a nice house. We had a boat. We had nice cars and all of that. And I was raised in the church, raised in the Lutheran church. And I knew right from wrong. And I, I knew, um, I, I grew up in a good environment. Um, I was pretty fortunate. But unfortunately, I grew up, like a lot of kids did, uh, with a father of the 50s, I like to say, and I understood from him and from church what the judgment side of God was, but I never really understood what the love side of God was. Um, and because of, you know, a lot of issues with my father, uh, I tended to turn to unhealthy things when I was a child. I turned to food, and as I got a little bit older, I started turning to drugs and alcohol. I started experimenting with those things and planted seeds inside of me that would grow over time. Um, you know, growing up and watching my father have this incredible narcissistic type A personality, I vowed that I would never, ever turn out like my father. Uh, but unfortunately, I ended up turning out exactly like him. You know, to the world, I seemed like such a nice person. You know, I was gregarious and outgoing and kind of a combination of being an extrovert and an introvert all at the same time. But unfortunately, to those closest to me, I was a tyrant. Physical abuse was never my MO. It was always mental abuse. And I had an extremely short temper, and I held those closest to me to unrealistic expectations. Um, I could be both narcissistic and codependent at the same time, which is a pretty wicked combination. You know, I look back now at two failed marriages, um, missed years of contact with my kids, uh, and time away from my family, and I recognized that the damage that I caused wasn't just in my life, but it was also in those closest to me and my family. So I'm going to read a scripture out of Romans 7. It says, here's an important principle I've discovered. Regardless of my desire to do the right thing, it's clear that evil is never far away. For deep down, I am in happy agreement with God's law, but the rest of me does not concur. I see a very different principle at work in my bodily members, and it's at war with my mind. I become a prisoner in this war to the rule of sin in my body. I'm absolutely miserable. Is there anyone who can free me from this body where sin and death reign so supremely? I'm thankful to God for the freedom that comes through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. 
So on the one hand, I devotedly serve God's law with my mind, but on the other hand, with my flesh, I serve the principle of sin. You see, my entire life was a series of peaks and valleys, all based on the shame and guilt cycle that so many of us fall into and Paul speaks about in Romans 7. This passage was actually the one that helped me get it when I did my step study for the first time. So I'm going to take you through a super quick journey of my life that leads up to the last six years. I joined the Air Force right out of high school. Uh, At the time, I did it because I wanted to get away from my heavy-handed father, and I thought that his plan for me going to the local university would just result in him being uh, on top of me all the time again. So I joined the Air Force, and um, my idea was I'd always wanted to be a pilot from the time that I was 10 years old. Uh, My uncle was a pilot for Northwest Airlines. Uh, We had an airplane in my family, and that's really what I wanted to do. And I thought, you know, if I join the Air Force, I can go to night school. Uh, and they'd have an opportunity for maybe me to be able to fly for the Air Force. So I did that, and uh, I started my career in the Air Force. I started taking classes right away. But the seeds that I'd sown in high school in my life, uh, you know, I was a really smart kid. I had, I had good grades, but unfortunately, I was lazy and undisciplined. And the seeds that I'd sown in high school with partying and carrying on started taking uh, effect when I was taking night classes. And pretty soon, I was out just partying with my friends and not going to class. And so at the time, I was living in Grand Forks, North Dakota, stationed at Grand Forks Air Force Base, which is really close to my home in Minnesota. And it really led me into some unhealthy things and not completing college like I wanted to. So. After muddling my way through my first year of college, I thought, you know, maybe an overseas assignment will fix all of my problems. So in the Air Force, for anybody that's ever been in the military, you can fill out what's called a dream sheet, and you can put down where you'd like to go. Well, at the time, I decided to test fate. And although I was a Christian, I was a person who had accepted Christ as a a young person, I wasn't living a Christian life. And so when I said I decided to test fate, I wasn't testing God, like it says in the Bible. So I just put on my dream sheet, just send me anywhere. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Uh, and not, not, uh, and so as a result of that, I was living outside of God's will. I wasn't testing God. I wasn't praying to God. I wasn't trusting God to direct my life. I was testing my own will and my own ways. I hadn't yet understood what principle three is, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Shortly after I made that decision to go anywhere, uh, the Air Force assigned me to Okinawa, Japan. Uh, I'd never been overseas before, and this was my first experience, and Japan was like a completely different universe to me. Again, the seeds, unfortunately, that I'd planted through high school in my time in North Dakota uh, were starting to sprout. I was 21 years old, I was a half a world away from anyone I knew, and my life was about to get real. My second night there, the guys that lived down the hallway in my dormitory decided to take me out and indoctrinate me into the local ways. They said that in order to become one of the crew, I I had to pass a rite of passage which was just down an alley, my first experience with a prostitute. I've experienced many fork in the road moments, but this one's pretty pivotal for me because uh, it really changed the trajectory of my life. Now, shortly thereafter, some of my dorm mates decided to take me out and uh, introduce me to some friends of theirs, and I ended up meeting a local uh, Japanese girl, and uh, we ended up going out and started dating. Um, The language barrier was a little bit of a problem, but I was really uh, intrigued by the whole Japanese culture and language, and so instead of going to college, I decided to learn Japanese, which I did, and became fluent. The problem was is that because of the trajectory of my life, 
it wasn't a healthy relationship. And I was immediately, after starting to date this girl, promiscuous in other ways. So as I was traveling all over Asia for the Air Force, I was leaving a trail of destruction and debauchery behind me. And um, sexual impropriety, uh, one party after another, and it finally caught up with me, and the person that I was dating found out that I was being unfaithful. So we broke up, and I just continued in my downward cycle. A few months later, though, I got a call back from this person, and she decided that she wanted to get back together. And one of the things that uh, I began to learn um, is a couple of things were running through my head. Number one, I started understanding what guilt felt like and shame, and I started feeling that. And so rather than pursue God's will in my life, I decided to pursue uh, a life of doing things my way. So at the time, I thought, gosh, you know, if we get married, things are going to be a lot better. But at the same time, there was these voices in my head that kept talking to me and saying things like, be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46.10. Listen to me, keep silence, and I will teach you wisdom, Job 33.33. 33. But sadly, I didn't listen to any of the good voices inside of my head. I only listened to my own voice and the voice of the enemy. This new and developing feeling of guilt and shame inside of me caused me to want to pursue my own way, and five months later, we were married. Now, everything that I'd done up to this point in my life, I'd been running away from instead of confronting my problems. Now, I know now that this is not God's way, but it was the enemy's way. You know, if you mess up in your town, move to another. Mess up in a relationship, move on to another. Mess up in your job. I honestly thought that by the simple act of getting married, that my past would stay behind me. I was wrong. Three children and 13 years later, I was the same philandering, alcohol-abusing tyrant with no prospect to change. I'm convinced that the still small voice inside of me telling me to be uh, careful wasn't because God didn't want me to marry her or be with her. It was him telling me that I wasn't ready to be in a relationship. I was broken and unable to fulfill God's command and will. So this isn't to say that I didn't have some redeeming qualities. I mean, I made attempts at getting better. Um, we were in and out of churches. We wanted, as kids were born, we wanted the kids to be in Sunday school. So we made honest attempts at doing things like that. But along the way, and after 13 years of marriage, countless affairs, separations, and bad living, we both decided to call it quits. The kids were a mess. We were a mess. It's literally like a nuclear bomb had gone off in our lives and leveled everything. And by the way, 9-11 had just happened, and I lost my job at the airline that was paying my way. So along the way, what I didn't mention was is that I somehow managed to muddle my way along through college and finish college, and I got a job as a pilot finally. Uh, the Air Force paid for my aviation degree. I was going to go off to pilot training for the Air Force, but unfortunately, budget cuts prevented me from doing that. So I was able to pursue um, civilian flying. And in, 2000, excuse me, in 1999, I was hired as a pilot at a small regional airline. By 2000, I'd worked my way up to my dream job. I finally got the job that I'd wanted since I was 10 years old, and I was hired at Northwest Airlines. Um, everything was going great, I thought. Unfortunately, all the seeds that had been sown inside of me really hadn't changed. And so um, we were, at the time, we'd moved back to Minneapolis, where I'm from. 
Um, my wife at the time, who was from Japan, was miserable living in the United States. And we were living in my grandparents' house uh, on Lake Minnetonka, which was my dream to always live there. And we were absolutely miserable. So I came in from fishing one day after I'd lost my job at the airline because I was collecting unemployment and I thought fishing every day would be a really good thing to do. <laughs> Clearly not. <clears throat> oh, and by the way, I grew a beard too, which was kind of cool, but you know. So I came in from fishing one day and my neighbor who I'd known since I was a little kid, because it was my grandparents' house, pulled me aside and he gave me one of those, put your arm around and son, what are you gonna do with the rest of your life? And he talked me into joining the, joining the, going back into the Air Force. And at that point, I was completely out of emotional gas. I was out of ideas. And he got me a spot. I couldn't be a pilot. I was too old at that point for the Air Force. But he got me a job as a C-130 flight engineer. So at least I'd get to fly. I just wouldn't get to fly it. I'd have to flip switches, uh, which was fine. Um, so considering the state of my marriage and the relationship with my kids, uh, my wife at the time and I decided to do a trial separation and I went to Arkansas to train uh, in the C-130 and she stayed in Minneapolis. The problem with this was is that being away from her and not changing anything in my life, I was a true menace to society when I arrived in Arkansas. Not a lawbreaker by societal terms, but nothing was going to stand in the way of me having a good time because I was finally free. So after being down there a couple of weeks, I was already back in my old habits again. I met a cute bartender, started my floundering ways again. And the next three years, I went back down a trail of absolute destruction. Uh, while I was in training, I made the decision that I wasn't going to stay in the marriage that I was in, but I also wasn't prepared to get divorced. So I continued in an illicit affair with a person in Arkansas while I was still married to a person back in Minnesota. Also at the time I finished training, my reserve unit got activated um, and I went over to Germany for a short-term deployment to fly missions down to Bosnia. Um, while I was over there, more partying, more mistakes, more bad living. And on our way back from Germany after being over there for a month, we were notified that we were being activated for the war in Iraq. So I'm an absentee father to my three children in Minnesota. Uh, I'm making what I convinced myself is attempts to be involved in their life back in Minnesota, but I'm really not. And now I'm facing a deployment that has no end in sight. It's, it's not a, one that's like a 90-day. It's you're going to war, and we don't know when you're coming back. So I've got some problems in my life, and everything is falling apart incredibly fast. But you know what I've learned, or what I learned, just like every other time in my life, why don't I just run away because that's the easiest thing? So while I didn't volunteer for the deployment to go overseas, I did tell them, I'm happy to stay as long as you need me to. Now, who in their right mind volunteers for a combat deployment and says, I'll stay as long as you need to? The guy that runs away from his problems because combat was better in Iraq than facing all the problems that I had back in the States. So I said goodbye to everybody. I packed up all my stuff, and we deployed overseas. Once again, I found myself in denial. After the first six months in the Middle East, more combat missions than I care to remember and things that I hope to never see again, one of the most impactful missions that still sticks with me today, and funny, it doesn't include me getting shot at, but it still haunts me. 
We had our mission changed uh, and we were now scheduled to fly, fly from Kuwait City up to Mosul, Iraq for what would turn into an HR mission or a human uh, mission to transport human remains. It's a day that I'll never forget. I've asked myself a million times over the last 13 years why this one experience has been so impactful on me and why it's the strongest emotional experience I took out of my time in the Middle East. I've come up with a lot of my own conclusions, but where I stand today, and I believe it's the real reason, is that deep inside, uh, I wish that I was in the body bag that we were picking up in Mosul. All the shame and guilt that I'd been carrying inside my broken soul was crying out to be released. So I'm looking in the back as we're loading before we fly back to Kuwait City, and here's this innocent 19-year-old girl who had an entire life ahead of her, and God had taken her away. And here I was, a broken man with no hope of changing my ways, and I got to live. I was beginning to see my bottom, and I was angry at God and the world. Sadly, things weren't about to get better. They were about to get worse. Without God in my life, I was destined to find bottom and dwell there, not to see it and find hope. So I got back from the deployment. Nothing had changed at home. Funny, problems don't change when you run away from them. I just magically thought there was going to be a magic wand, but no, there was no magic wand. My kids were a mess, in and out of trouble. I was in no position to help because I was a disaster myself. My divorce was at least finally getting finalized um, after being gone for almost six months, and the woman that I'd been living with clearly had no interest in me coming back. So after a couple more years of trying to force a relationship with this person in Arkansas, uh, and really clearly realizing that it was bad, my divorce was finalized, um, I thought, well, you know what? If I marry this person I'm living with, things are just bound to get better, right? No. Something inside of me thought, she was a good church-going person, and she's going to be able to fix me. The problem was, I hadn't yet heard principle number two. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. I'd always believed that God existed, but I missed out on the second part, that I mattered to him and that he had the power to help me recover. I was tossing all of my hope onto somebody who was as messed up as I was. So little changed in my life because I didn't change. More cheating, more anger, more selfishness, more partying. I'd seen this movie before. I was bouncing around on the bottom, back flying full-time for the airline uh, that I had gotten hired at when I got laid off after 9-11 from Northwest. Um, I was living a life on the road, and I was broken, strong-willed, and unwilling to deal with my own shortcom shortcomings. It was once again somebody else's fault. As I'd been only spending about one week a month in my home, things were rapidly falling out of control in my now second marriage and in my life. From Romans 5, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at us just at the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 6 to 8. So the really interesting thing about my story is that for all the chaos in my personal life, my professional life by many standards, is actually successful. Uh, it really caused me to be arrogant, and I thought that I had it under control. Part of the success happened in 2007 when I was able to get called back to Northwest Airlines. 
uh, and realize, once again, my childhood dream from the time I was 10 years old of wearing the Air US Airmail wings of a Northwest pilot. Um, now, having worked there before, um, they brought me back in. I, I got promoted really quickly into a couple of management jobs while I was flying, and things were really, really going well. Unfortunately, um, because of this, my ego and my narcissism were absolutely on fire. And I kept convincing myself that my personal life was just fine. But deep inside of me, I was empty, unsatisfied, and hurting. Uh, a chance trip to connect, connect up with an old Air Force buddy from Okinawa led me to meet two people who would, end, who would end up helping me create a major turning point in my life. And once again, I was confronted with an option of either running away from my problems in Arkansas or moving out here to Los Angeles. In this case, I didn't really feel like I was running away, and I'll get to that in a second, but I was beginning to feel that there was a possible change in my life. So I began a slow move out here to Los Angeles and the start of yet another new life. Little did I know that this change would lead me to standing here in front of you today. You see, while I'd let the seeds of the enemy and the seeds of destruction grow deep inside of me, my creator had also planted seeds. From Mark 4, the seed the farmer is sowing is the good news, God's word. These are seeds that can never be taken away. And I'd been allowing myself to let the seeds of the enemy grow. But once again, that still small voice was speaking inside of me. So I began to spend all of my days off from the airline out here in California with some new friends. We started a business together. They worked in the entertainment industry, uh, down, they both on a TV show, and we started a business together. And uh, they, were, they were great guys, they were family guys. And rather than get my own place out here, I ended up couch surfing with them for a few years. And one of my friends lived up here in Santa Clarita and I started going to church with him. And it, it was at this point that I began to start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I at least recognized in the very beginning that God was the only way that I was gonna be able to get my life back on track. Um, now, I should also mention that I was now separated from wife number two, and I had asked her to move to L.A., praying and hoping that she wouldn't come with. Um, neither one of us at the time was interested in continuing the marriage, and the relationship, if there ever, ever was one, in my opinion, was over. Um, so I moved out here to L.A., and about this time, it was a real turning point in my life, and what I'm, what I, for those of you that have seen it, I'll call it a God wink. Um, I mentioned that, um, maybe I didn't, at the time I was also serving in a position working on the board of directors for uh, the Delta Pilots uh, company that I worked for. Northwest had become Delta in the merger. And uh, I had a board meeting in Salt Lake City and one of my business partners asked me to fly to New York with him for our business after the board of directors meeting was over and I did. Um, a chance meeting happened in Westchester County are we good? We got problems. With that. We got problems? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you, you want me to stop? <laughs> Sound? Okay. I can do this. Um, so, anyway, a chance meeting at the Rye Town Hilton in Westchester County, New York. Uh, after the event was over that we, we did for our business, I had no interest in going out. I'd take, both of us had taken the red eye from LA. We'd been up for 30 hours, and I said no, but something inside of me said, you need to go to this meeting tonight, the meeting after the meeting. 
and I did. It was at that time that I met a person who's probably had the most profound impact on my life, and that's my wife sitting right over there. So if you think I have the gift, for those of you that know me, you think I have the gift of the gab, you need to meet the two other people that were with us that night. That's my business partner and her cousin. So as, I, as we met and we kind of looked at each other uh, across the table, we're listening to full Italian and full Puerto Rican, and neither one of them is listening to each other, just talking over each other, and the two of us look at each other and kind of do this. So I end up walking around the table, and we start chatting, and two hours later, it felt like we'd only been talking for five minutes. I told my life story and all the things that I was going through to a complete stranger. So clearly, um, we talked for over two hours, you know, I'd never shared anything like that with somebody like that in my life before. I don't know why, but I shared my secrets, my pain, my joy, and everything in between, and now I know why I was so comfortable with this person. I was finally starting to come into a fellowship with God, and I was open to who he wanted to put into my path. So up until this point, I'd really shut God out of my life and did things my way, but I think I was finally starting to understand the process of submission, and this was another test for me. So over the next few months, I could tell the whole story. Okay, I'll sidebar. It's kind of funny. So she gave me her number, and we became friends on Facebook. And I'm trying to decide, like, you know, do, do you wait a day? Do you wait three days? Do you wait? I, you know, I didn't know. But I was also, both of us were at a point where, you know, I was coming out of this relationship. I was a total mess. And I was, as I said, I was starting to come into fellowship with God, and I was starting, God was, I think, starting to reveal things to me. I didn't want to mess another relationship up, but I really like this person, so I'm like, okay, so what do I do? So I waited, I think, seven days. Seven days? Seven days. What I found out later was she's like, is this guy ever going to contact me? <laughs> so what did I do? I didn't call up and say, hey, do you want to go out on a date? Oh, no, 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 no. I contacted her about some business stuff that she wanted to know about. So that's the sidebar conversation, but it was a very long and slow process. And I, I tell you that part of the story because I'm kind of off my script here, but it's important because I was starting to realize at that point, and I really honestly feel, and I'll reiterate it again, God was starting to reveal how messed up I was, and I was starting to have that feeling of, I don't want to see part three of this movie again. I didn't want to see the the sequel and the, the third part. Um, so anyway, you know, we started talking to each other and magically right after we met, uh, the base that I was flying out of for Delta, Memphis, Tennessee, was closing and I had to transfer to another base to fly. And um, I, <laughs> literally a week after I met her, I had forgotten that I'd put New York City on my dream sheet for flying, and I got assigned to New York, which was weird, because I was living in LA, but I believe that was a God moment, because where did she live? New Jersey. So we fell madly in love, and uh, you know, started hanging out all the time, and I'd like to say that this is the end of the story, uh, but it's not. And while we felt we were so careful to do everything right, I still had a lot of baggage to unload. I was still married, um, although we hadn't been together for months, um, I was back in church, but I really hadn't done anything to work on the root issues uh, that were affecting me. But we pressed on, and outside of God's word, she eventually moved out to L.A., and we moved in together. Um, I wish that I could tell you at that point that I was a changed man, but I wasn't. 
I had stopped my infidelity issues, but I was still involved in pornography. I had not gotten a hold of my anger and control issues, and I was drinking way too much. I had found happiness with a person that I truly loved, but I couldn't figure out why I was still acting out the way that I was. I couldn't control it, and I hadn't yet heard of principle one. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. But interestingly enough, then the turning point happened. My then-girlfriend started attending the same church that I did here in Santa Clarita, and in another Godwink moment, I was in town that weekend not flying, and there was a guest speaker that day who talked about a ministry that he was leading in Illinois that dealt with recovering from life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I heard his testimony, and I was absolutely brought to tears by it. We had so many similarities, he and I, yet we were so different. Something stirred inside of me that day, something I'd never felt before. And one of the strongest urges I've ever felt, I knew I had to connect with this man who had spoken. So shortly thereafter, um, I heard that he would be moving out here to Santa Clarita and beginning a recovery program. I found his email and I reached out to him. So now understand, at this point, I was slowly turning my life back towards God, but I really hadn't gone all in on all of my issues. In fact, I was really just treading spiritual water. My ego said, you know, you've had lots of life experiences, um, you know, and, and you're back to being a church regular, and uh, I bet you could really help those folks that need recovery. So I reached out to uh, this gentleman, and what I didn't understand was, at the time, the reason God was stirring that inside of me was because I was the one that needed recovery, not everybody else. And so we helped launch the ministry. We participated in the program. We did marriage counseling with the man who had started this ministry. And again, I wish I could say that's the end of the story, but sadly it's not. Have you guys figured out yet? I'm not a very good learner. <laughs> um, and again, through all this, I still hadn't gone all in. Uh, with, with the program. I was dipping my toe in the spiritual water, so to speak. Um, and although I was starting my journey and making progress, I just couldn't seem to commit. Um, I helped start the uh, barbecue team and uh, was asked to join a step study, but I used work as an excuse. Uh, by now, I was flying international trips, which had been a dream of mine since I was a little kid. And I found that if I flew weekends, I could get better trips than if I flew during the week. So I used that as an excuse to not be involved. Life seemed really good, but at that time, I started my arrogance and my inability to see the enemy's plans struck at me once again. And I make the mistake that so many people in this program do is that once you start to feel better, you just stop going. Life was good, work was busy, was traveling all over the world. I was taking my girl, I made her my travel buddy at work so she could travel with me to all these wonderful destinations. And, um, and we, we were, you know, life was good, but unfortunately, it was falling apart at the same time. Um, so this gentleman who had started the ministry and done marriage counseling uh, had married us, and, you know, we thought everything was going to be great. So I want to make a really important point now about what happened, and it's the biggest mistake, again, to reiterate, that I could have made in this journey, and that's that I quit coming. Both of us quit coming. Um, you see... Large groups, small groups, step studies, and all the stuff that we do, okay, they all have value and they're all important. But at the end of the day, and for everybody and anybody that's either watching or here tonight, the most important thing that you do is just keep showing up. And that's the mistake that I made. God's going to take care of the rest. 
he's going to order your steps and open you up to his guidance by continuing to come. And when you know what happens when you stop showing up, I can tell you, you relapse. Principle seven, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. So because I hadn't gone all in, I didn't have the tools to fight the enemy, and in the short run, the short run, the enemy won. So here's, here's the quick story of what happened. Shortly after we got married, things were good, money was better, we moved into a much bigger house. With that, four of our five kids, the Brady Bunch, decided to move to California and move in with us. They were all adults, but they wanted to get back on their feet, so they came, and at the same time, my mother-in-law and my wife's nephew decided to move in with us too. This was three months after we got married. Not a good thing to do. So the problem was is that, and to put it in perspective, is that neither one of us now was attending our recovery program. Our church attendance was incredibly sporadic, and everything was headed right back to where we had come from. And with six people living in our house, the stress was bad, and I handled it horribly. Right back to my old ways again. My anger was back along with major control issues. I blamed everybody else. And because I was still based in New York City and I had an apartment in Queens, what does John do when things get tough? He runs away. So I ran off to New York and moved into my apartment and left four kids, a mother-in-law and a nephew in our house in California and didn't come back. So here I was, angry, back living the way that I was living before. At least I didn't cross any lines of infidelity, but I was back involved in pornography again, being alone and being angry. And I could argue, um, and some people would, that a, you know, a porn addiction isn't infidelity, but it really is. And somehow falling into this trap again just caused an absolute downward spiral for me. And so while I'd continued this lifelong habit of simply running away and racing back to rock bottom, I kept hearing God softly speaking to me to give up on my pride and go back home. So I decided to come back. I hadn't been back for quite a while, and I came back, and when I walked into our living room, the entire living room was stacked with boxes. That voice was telling me, if you don't go home, you're not gonna have anything to go home to. My wife, of only a few months, was leaving me, and to be honest, I was actually shocked that she was still around, considering my behavior. But definitely, she was more of a fighter than, than I was. So we got in a fight, and we looked at each other, and I said to her, is this really it? This was the moment. This, for, this was the moment for everything. It was more than just the marriage for me. It was the moment in the fork in the road, I really feel, of where I was going to go with the rest of my life. And it was a question of whether or not I was going to step over my pride and follow not only my heart, but what God wanted me to do, or simply continue my downward spiral. Pride ends in a fall, while humility brings honor. Proverbs 29, 23. So I set my pride aside and asked if we could start again. Uh, I felt that we'd burn bridges at our church and in the ministry that we were in because some of the people and leaders knew what had happened, and my pride wouldn't let me go back. Uh, but instead, we started meeting with a Christian counselor and uh, had six amazing months. It was like God was directing us. The counselor was amazing. We both realized the mistakes that we were making and all the steps that, the, that this uh, professional gave us were right out of the Bible. I still had a lot of work to do. I was unable to get rid of my shame and guilt for all that I'd done. I started going back to church, 
and a guy that had started with us in a recovery program um, had given this, his testimony the first night that we came back, and I was absolutely moved again, like I'd been two years before. Um, and the incredible part was just to see the transformation that had happened in this gentleman over the two years. Um, shortly after his testimony, I told him how moved I was and, and said that I was finally ready to take the plunge um, and that I wanted to start a step study. But I, again, said I just can't commit because of my work schedule. And he looked at me with humility and grace, and he said, you know, John, if you sign up for that step study, God will make sure that you're able to go. Uh, so I immediately signed up, and after two years of participating, I was finally taking the step, no pun intended, uh, to go all in. Out of Luke, nothing is covered up that won't be discovered. Nothing is hidden that won't be exposed. Whatever a person says in the dark will be published in the light of day, and whatever a person whispers in private rooms will be broadcast from the housetops. So I completed my step study a little over a year ago. True to my friend's word, God did provide a work schedule that allowed me to miss a minimum of sessions. And I'd certainly like to tell you that life is perfect now, but it isn't. I still struggle every day with temptations. I still get angry occasionally, and I still wish that I was a better husband and a father. I wish I was as consistent about following step seven and journaling every day and doing a periodic inventory. I struggle with that too. But I'm happy to report that I'm free from the shackles of porn and sexual impropriety, and I've been able to put balance back in my life through healthy choices. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Mark 14, 38. And don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes from God and dwells inside of you? You do not own yourself. So here's what I realized and what had such a profound impact on my life. That no matter what I did, I'm forgiven. Until I took the steps in recovery, I had never truly forgiven myself uh, for what I'd done. Um, I never understood grace. I viewed God as judgment and not as love. My life was an unstoppable cycle of bad behavior, guilt, and shame. And until I understood the steps, until I committed to do an inventory, and until I was able to forgive myself and forgive others, I was doomed to continue failing. So while I know that I will always be broken and struggle, what I know now is that I have a loving, have knowledge of a loving and forgiving God, a forever family that's always going to accept me no matter what, and an incredible toolbox through the principles and the encounter program that I have to fall back on every single day. So since we stand surrounded by those, all those who have gone before, an enormous cloud of witnesses, let us drop every extra weight, every sin that clings to us, and slackens our pace, and let us run with endurance the long race set before us, Hebrews 12.1. So if you're new here, just keep showing up. If you've been here for a while, just be open to the direction that God wants you to take, and just keep working the program every single day. And when given the chance and direction by God, follow principle eight. Yield myself to God to be used by this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. For the rest of my life, I hope that I can keep this principle at the forefront of everything that I do. And before I close, Pastor Bill, the guy that married us, the guy that I talked about, that guy from Illinois, <laughs> he asked me to mention, too, that uh, a few years ago, I went offline from being a pilot and took an office job, and it was um, extremely stressful for me because I still hadn't gotten through, you know, my step study and, and inventory and all that. And um, 
you know, I just went back into the office again after a two-year break and stepped out of the cockpit for a two-year assignment in the office, and I was just explaining to him tonight, because he was worried about me, because he knows what a mess I was the last time I took this job. The tools that I've learned, not only through this ministry, but through step study and groups and everything, the tools that I've learned have caused me to be so stress-free this time around. It's just incredible what this ministry can do for you. So I, I really humbly tell each and every one of you that the tools that you can learn here can make your life so much less chaotic and so much more stress-free. So thank you for letting me share. God bless all of you as you increase God's kingdom through this amazing program throughout the world.